All right, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Long Twos podcast. I'm your dutiful host, Mike Vorkanoff, and um, got a special, special episode for you guys this week. Uh, the first time that I'm having these two on the podcast, and it's it's two people. Um, it is the I, I want to make sure I have the kind of like uh, the creation history uh, of of uh, Nick's Film School correct. It is the creator and the dean of Nick's Film School. Is that right? Are, are my titles correct there? Uh, Jeff, the, rec- the and- records, the records have been long ago burned, and yeah. uh, well, they were shredded, I think, first, and then and then burned. It's all it's all hearsay at this point. I don't, uh, I wouldn't trust anything you hear, actually. Um, but something <laughs> along those lines, I, I think. Okay, I just want to know what the succession structure is. Whether you have your own constitution, like how this all works, basically, for going into before uh, Chris, you know, supersedes both of you and just runs the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's it. We, no, I think that's what's funny about us is we, we it's literally so just like, yeah, you start doing the newsletter now. Okay. <laughs> Most people are like, oh, we're starting something. We should figure out titles. And yeah, we didn't do any of that. Yeah. I, I remember the, the day like it was yesterday where JB texted me. It was in the morning. He's like, yeah, so I don't really want to do the newsletter anymore. <laughs> I'm getting kind of tired. Can you take it over? And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? that's so that's us i i think the most important thing is uh from what i understand from watching like succession and all that is one to main make sure you have uh the most votes uh in terms of your board uh to maintain power (laughs) and obviously uh how the the revenue structure pays out to make sure that one of you gets more than the other just kind of it just kind of is like a chest thumping thing more than anything else really yes that's right that's right yeah so uh, let me do that yeah 50.1 percent jb has Okay. All right. Well, there we go. That's a, he started. It's his thing. Uh, so that's that's Jeff Blown and John Macri. And um, thank you guys for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Um, a week ago, this would have been probably a little bit more of an optimistic podcast uh, on your <laughs> end, at least uh, when the Knicks were riding high and things were great. Yeah. Um, now they're five and six. We're doing this on a Wednesday afternoon. It's about a, like three hours before Knicks Nets tips off so anything we say is you know actually you know obviously amenable to change depending on what happens then but uh i i just want to jump into it i guess like how are you guys feeling about the knicks right now what is what is the uh the feeling the state of play right now jb you want to start or you want me to tee it off no i mean i'll start it i mean what it is is and it's funny because i'm always the biggest talking about sample size and all the boring statistical stuff but i mean to me that that's what we're seeing. We're seeing the team that we expected to see sort of regressing to the mean after that hot start, right? I mean, a team that doesn't have three-point shooting. And so big surprise. Yeah, they shot well to start the year, but big surprise. Now, when we look at the numbers, it it comes back on earth. I mean, when you have Barrett and Mitch, two players who are going to play majority of your minutes, and you can add Randall to that, who I think the three of them, you know, taking out Randall for a second, but Barrett and Mitch, you're averaging what one, three make a game between the two of them. And that's 40% of your lineup. Like, you know, that that's going to be a a problem. So to me, I'm glad that, you know, there's things that I'm excited about what we've seen, but it's also doesn't surprise me to see kind of where they, where they fall into recently and overall. Yeah. I, um, I second, obviously, everything JB said. We're in. It's funny. We're like you said. We're recording this before the Brooklyn game. It's a. It's a really, really interesting uh, point in the season because they could come out tonight, and uh, I don't even think it matters how they do it. But if they if they won this game against the Nets, I think every Nick fan would be back to feeling just fantastic. And if they got their doors blown off tonight, it, I think the five wins or the five and three start would be such a distant memory. Um, you know, but it's just, you know, it's an interesting thing from the thing I'm most interested in is this um, as, as Nick fans, where I think more, more than the thing like spacing and, you know, who's going to hit the three point shots and all that. It's always about how's the mentality in the organization. Do guys care? Are guys playing hard? Are they bought in Is the front office have a clue? All of, all of that stuff. And it's when you're, when they're losing, 
and they're losing in, in such a fashion as they do the first thing uh, or the first time since I think it was since 2015, 16. Did you tweet that out, Mike? I think. Yeah, it's the first time since the start of the 1819. 1819. So, okay. That a team scored 90 fewer than 90 points, three straight games. Yeah. So it becomes difficult to separate out the fa- the fashion in which they're losing from like the, the fact that they're losing and what that does or does not say. But, but about- why? I mean, well, it's, it's 11 games, and I think as Jeffrey Jeff said, and I, I kind of agree, it's like um, I think some of the early season shooting was just noise, and I think some oh, yeah. of the struggles the last three games is noise, and they're obviously not a good shooting team. Um, should three games really sway you that much? Like, to me, I'm worried about R.J. Barrett either way, um, and the, the results of the last three games are you know kind of more like this was going to happen at some point. Yeah. yeah, for yeah, and I like I, I guess I'll just answer it by saying you know we're we're at the point where it does three games turn into five, six, seven, eight, or like eight of nine or nine of ten, and uh, you know if they can't score enough, like if they don't get enough, like Bizarro World, Austin Rivers fourth quarter, like you know four minutes from heaven performances, that maybe that happens and they can't score enough to be competitive in in NBA games. You know, and then at that point, like the conversation turns like, well, who cares if they're bought in? If they can't function as a coherent, competent, you know, competitive NBA team, it doesn't matter. So that's that's where I'm looking at right now. Yeah, no, I guess the the thing, too, and it's funny playing the Nets tonight and with all the noise, I'm sure we'll we'll touch on it a little bit. I mean, this is also the NBA, right? I mean, I, I think especially now as I've been spending more time you know, looking at baseball starting the, the Mets newsletter, plug, plug. Um, Subscribe like now. You, but why don't you tell them? I mean, why don't you tell them where to find it? Let's just, let's do this now. Yeah. During the run of play. That's right. Yeah. So the newsletter is called the Metropolitan, but you can find us at Mets fix on Twitter is the easiest way to probably find us. And the link will be there or the links in my, in my Twitter profile. Um, but yeah, every weekday, 8am, get all your Mets news and analysis there. Um, but, you know, looking at, Baseball versus basketball, it just is fascinating, right? Because in baseball, you have the best player by a wide margin, Mike Trout, who he's never in the playoffs. You know, he's never on a good team. And we've seen that, whether it's back with Alex Rodriguez and, you know, we, the list can go on of good players who haven't been able to win. Where in basketball, it, you know, in NBA, it really comes down to who your best players are. So, like, as much as we spend all this time with the Knicks talking about, like, effort and how this lineup is versus this other lineup it's like at the end of the day you're as good as your best players and they don't have players that are going to make them a really good team and the fact of the matter is unless one of these young players turns into you know surprises everyone turns into a superstar you know the chances are and like we're seeing with the nets right now the chances are even if they show some sort of incremental progress whenever they're really good again, winning 50 games, how many guys on this roster are going to actually be part of that team? Probably not a lot. So it's one of those things that it's like, I don't know, it's tough sometimes analyzing it because you start to think to yourself, you're spending a lot of time analyzing the pieces of what is probably just a bad team that will not be actually the parts of a good team unless they're used in trades to get those players. And I think I think that's kind of a tough spot for the NBA right now as you look sort of at that broader landscape of how everything centers around how a few players move. Did you guys enter this season caring about what the final record was going to be? Like you mentioned, you mentioned kind of the incrementalism of this whole year. And I think that was at least my perspective going in was like, all right, maybe they'll take some steps forward on the whole, um, whether they win, you know, three more games over the course of 72 two game season more than they did last year is like, whatever, those are not the things you're looking for. Um, I, I was just wondering whether the record this year really matters or what, what you started the year looking for compared to what you think is important now, 11 games in. I think the record only matters in so far as like you, you can't, I don't think there's a world where you can say that you're taking you know, considerable steps forward as an organization if they went out. I mean, it's 72 games. So, I, you know, 15 games if they won 15, 16, 17 games or something. I think, I think there's a baseline. I don't know what that baseline is, but I think, you know, like a lot of people, I started out the season just caring about 
A, effort. B, is there a coherent, consistent scheme being run on both ends that guys can execute, are executing, um, that's, you know, repeatable and that, like, if everything goes right, it has a chance of being of keeping them in games. Um, and then, like, the growth from the young players, which which JB was alluding to before. I think, though, again, it's it's funny how things could change. The five and three start, um, it's it, – I don't know if it's appropriate to use the analogy. Did, did it change the goalposts or, or is a, is a team allowed to change its own goalposts? I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm losing myself here, but like expectations were raised unfairly or otherwise. So I, I wonder now, you know, it, sh- it shouldn't affect what anybody thought three weeks ago, but I, I wonder that it, if it will amongst the fan base. Yeah, no, I wasn't expecting anything with the record. I think, and me and Matthew talked about it, I think on a pod right before the season, it really was what happens to these rookie players, what happens to the young players. If you come through at the end of this year and you realize someone from that group of young players and rookies is, I'm going to say, better than you thought, um, that I was going to (laughs) be excited about. Because right now, I don't think you could say any of these guys – are perennial all-star players with any sort of confidence, right? So the, the question is, could you go through this year and just be, that happens, right? There are players in the league that you don't expect. You know, when Donovan Mitchell came in, you didn't expect him to be Donovan Mitchell till he became Donovan Mitchell. And I think obviously like quickly, um, you know, everyone was ready what? to- Yeah, but, I was gonna ask like, what is the what is the thought on quickly now versus the thought on quickly a week ago? and. Uh, Cause that seems to have shifted rather quickly, quickly. Uh, to borrow bad Tom Thibodeau puns um, yeah. <laughs> over the last seven days. No, I mean, it ha- but again, it's just like, this is, I mean, it, it's the, Yan- was it Steinbrenner? No, it wasn't Steinbrenner, but it was about the Yankees, right? Where they're saying they play 162 one game seasons. Like that was the yeah. original kind of quote in New York. Well, that's the Knicks. Like that defines the Knicks nowadays. They play. That's not good. 80, you know? And it's just, I think because of that, you get these situations like with quickly where he has a couple of good games and all of a sudden all the, uh, an entire narrative is written about him and then the opposite. Right. So he has a couple of bad games and it's just like, we got to see like 40 games before I think we decide either way. I I'm still, I'm still high on quickly. And I realize I think he's gotten four of his last what, 22 something along those lines three uh, of last two or 24 i think two or 24 i knew it was something around he's, he'll go off for um, 40 tonight but like when we're recording this he's two of 24 right yeah i mean because look because but why is he that because he's you know he's rushing it he's he's you know putting up his floater too early he's obviously he's missing threes um but his him coming in and and showing a defined nba um skill which is really valuable which you've written about i you know we've written about a little bit is being able to draw fouls. Like, I think that's, again, it's a small thing. Like to what JB was saying before, is that going to change the organization? Of course not. He's, it goes from making him a fringe rotation player to maybe now we look at him as like a sixth man on a good team. Like that's not going to, you're not going to write home about that, but it could make a difference. And if you have enough little things from the young players you know, Kevin Knox is shooting 40% from three. Like, how does that keep up? Like, if you have enough of these little things, I think it it, it makes a difference in the long run because it increases your asset base and it, it makes you look more competent as an organization that you know how to bring these guys along, you know how to draft, the whole thing. You know, but of course, we're all dancing around the elephant in the room, which is the guy they picked third overall last year. Um, and Yeah, uh, that's a significant issue. But I, I actually do want to ask one before that, and, and this is related to quickly and um actually it's it's related to obi toppin too um you know i thought during the preseason toppin wasn't like that impressive um i think he was kind of forecasted to be the the rookie in the entire class really uh that everyone expected kind of highlights from and fireworks from immediately just that that was the profile on him right and then quickly kind of provided that but the sequencing of it seemed to have set expectations really high for quickly both the preseason and the first uh like three games i think when he came back from his injury and the last week has been a bit of a dud and I think the sequencing seems to matter much more than the as much as the performance in terms of what the evaluation is. And I, I, I don't know, like you said, the thing about drawing fouls with quickly and we both written about it and I totally think it's been impressive, but like also in, in three games since 
I don't think he's drawn as many fouls because he's basically defenders have stepped up on him in the lane and forced him to put that floater up early and like yeah. teams are kind of figuring it out. And so like, does he have that skill yet? Like we saw three games of it, but once the league adjusts, we, yeah. we don't really know. And I, mm-hmm. that's why I struggle to make much sense of like 11 games in, or maybe even 20 games in or 25 games in and trying to figure out what, what this rookie class is for the next so far. Yeah. And I mean, we quickly, we can at least look at his college numbers, right? Like we know he was efficient with his floater from, you know, when, when he played in college, the question is, does that translate to the pro level that we don't fully know, but we at least know it's a skill. It's a skill that he has. Right. So, and, and the same thing with three point shooting. So I, I think, you try to build on that. So you take what we've seen in a very small sample size and you try to say, okay, well, we can at least add that context to get an idea of like where he can go. And I yeah. think you feel better about that. And you're talking about the sequencing in terms of expectations. I think fans generally feel better about that. Like they, you can write a story about how quickly can be a productive NBA player based on those skills, maybe in some ways better than you can with top in because of the position he plays, the defense that he offers or doesn't offer. um, And the fact that, you know, I don't know what to make of his trying to become like a stretch four where it's like, I'm just going to shoot whatever. And I don't care if I bank it in or it it was kind of weird, like how he, it's almost like he's trying to overcompensate to prove what he could do early. I thought, Um, but you know, I, I guess that's the way I try to look at it is what are the skills we know they have? And then how do we feel confident about those, you know, kind of fitting in? And then I guess the last thing I'll say to this point is, and with quickly, he doesn't need to be like the star player. He just needs to be a guard who can finally give you some spacing, who can maybe create for for others, whether that's through like the gravity he draws to him or, you know, through driving and kind of putting defenders in that tricky spot where, you know, everything in the league is about being away from the mid-range shot, but it's like, if you're efficient with it, like it's all numbers, right? Like if you're an inefficient mid-range shooter, yeah, we'd rather have you do, um, you know, a three-point shot, but, um, but yeah, so I, I feel better about quickly because of that role where Toppin, you know, we, we got to see what, what he can do, but you're right. We kind of expected, they drafted him. He's an older player. We expected right away. He'd make a splash. He's been injured. We'll, we'll see what happens now when he comes back. Yeah. And I'm, I'm very curious. He was playing almost like a, a big wing three type of guy yeah. um, in the preseason. And I was very confused by that to some degree, both in how he chose to play and the way that the Knicks had him kind of doing things on the floor. I, I think that there's – I assume that won't be the norm for him going forward. I assume that they'll have figured out maybe this isn't the best use for the guy we thought would be this, like, dynamic rim-running uh, creator guy in transition. But we'll see. I don't know. I, it's it's so many, like, just disparate pieces put together on one roster uh, all at once. Were you guys um, – I don't know. When you're thinking about the offseason, and we all had our kind of initial reactions after it ended, but now looking into it, into the season were you disappointed that the the Knicks didn't try to get more like win now players uh, to some degree to make this team better I mean personally I this is not I'll... advocating for Gordon Hayward by the way there's there's classes <laughs> below Gordon Hayward I think on the salary yeah tiers. but like when yeah. when when it was you know reported and I, I had heard that they were in on Hayward for like three years and 70 70 million I think it was like I was that was great. hundred percent. Sign me up. Like, and we've talked about this in the past, um, Mike, with like the idea of, you know, there comes a point in time where you just, you just have to make yourself better with, yeah. the, with the right types of pieces. And it's not always about, you know, flexibility because flexibility is like a myth as a, as an asset, if you can't eventually turn it into anything, um, which it was, in, so I guess maybe for me, it was, it was more encouraging to me that they were willing to be flexible on <laughs> giving up some flexibility to get better in the interim, because it shows like they're smart enough to realize like, Hey, this team is going to suck in terms of being able to <laughs> put the ball in the basket. We need to fix this. We're not so stupid as to think like whatever Dennis, but junior and like Alfred Payton are going to run, you know, a, a decent offense. So I was encouraged by that. I mean, the fact that they couldn't get any of the guys, it is what it is. There's, there's no deal that stands out. Like 
that was signed elsewhere that made me be like, man, I really wish we could have, you know, that guy on that contract. I mean, if you want to look at like, okay, Christian Wood, he's looking like he's producing wonderfully on, on that deal, which is a nice value. Um, you know, Melton, I thought was a nice, a nice deal for Memphis, but he was a restricted free agent. So, you know how that goes. So like, that's the thing about this free agency period or, or for that matter, the possibility of a trade, mm-hmm. like, you know, Russell Westbrook, what was he just now shut down for a week or something like, boy, I, I don't know that there's any circumstance that I wish that he was on this team. Even what if about John be- Wall though? How about that? I didn't well, see that. I'm not saying this is not, th- that's just, you yeah, know, yeah. kind of like joking hindsight. I would not have advocated for trading for John Wall. Yeah, but you say it as a Trump. (laughs) (laughs) Build the wall. But if you, um, but if you, you know, just like you say it facetiously somewhat, but at the same time, I hope they're, I hope that it's his name is up somewhere on a whiteboard in MSG where they're like, I, what would it, at what point would it be valuable for us to look at it? Oh, yeah. But like, I think if they traded for like John Wall, there would have been, you know, kind of riots and stuff. Uh, Oh, absolutely. Breaking news, guys. James is this Harden about Michael Conford? To... Yeah, James Harden oh, is going to the Nets. Oh, wow. Can I, can wow. I crow for a second? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, go. This big break. I've never I'm not gonna, before. I'm not going <laughs> to quote tweet it with told you so, but I'll do it on here. I said this, not, not because I had any inside info, but just like reading the tea leaves. I'm like, he's going to be a net. I said this two months ago, and every Nick fan got up and, oh, you think just because a guy wants to go to the Nets and the Nets want him, it's going to happen? You're an idiot. Come on. This is the way the NBA works. <laughs> when a guy wants to go somewhere, he's going to happen. No, that. that's no, it. it is. contract means nothing. No, I mean, Brian Winters says it all the time, and, and it's true. It's like when the, the contract's over, when the talent is over. And it's like, yeah. it is so true. I mean... I, but what about this? Let, let's, I mean, we got breaking news here, so we'll see that's what exciting. the return return is but let me ask you guys this is the i'll i'll pull the like bigger picture <laughs> is this sweet, Mike. by the way by the way i yeah i i do want to say i think jb for the uh, posterity of this podcast um gets credit as the guy who broke the james harden because <laughs> yeah, that's where you i learned it first JB. yeah, yeah so big right. scoop that's, big scoop that's where you learned it first it was in nick school alerts um <laughs> but anyway I mean, you had a point to make well just like is it you know it just to me, it's one thing when you got a player, he's at the end of, you know, the last year of his contract. And this is obviously going to be the big question that everyone's going to be talking about. So I feel like it's kind of a, a, a tired point already, even though we're just learning news. But like, is this good that this is where we are? Like, at what point do you think that the NBA does sort of pay a price to the fact that, yeah, it's a soap opera and everyone likes checking Twitter and seeing who's going where. But like, for a guy to be able to just say, yeah, I'm done like that. I mean, is it good? Uh, yeah, I know. I think that's a very relevant question to ask. You know, I've always, I, I sometimes I used to, you know, I, this was not a thing in the, uh, in the NBA for like as big a thing as it is now. You know, I used to think of like NFL contracts and guys would hold out in the NFL um, and ask for new deals. And I, I thought that I was always fair because in the NFL contracts are not really contracts since teams can break them at any point. And there's so many levers there to pull where, you know, they don't actually get paid out what they originally signed to. So this is them kind of making it more even handed in the NBA. The the contracts are guaranteed. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, if you get traded as a player, what you're the balance is you're giving up some level of unilateral decision-making about your future in return for big globs of money. Um, And there's some sense of fairness to this, I guess, is the fairness here that now you get to dis- determine where you get to go just as much as the team does. Um, and maybe that just is a new prism for us to look through uh, contracts in the league. We've never, you know, like I'm, you know, in my early thirties, I never grew up looking at any sport really where players could decide where they go mid contract. So this is new. And maybe right. this is just kind of a new paradigm to adjust to, but it, it does seem like maybe that part of it's just not good for the league where uh, a superstar player can at any point just pull the parachute hatch and, and get out of whatever city they're in if they're unhappy. But hold on, because we still haven't had someone push the envelope. In a, I mean, he has a year and a half left on his deal. So thus far, this is... Yeah, but he's been pushing no the envelope is, for two years out, and this, this offseason was pretty bad. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, it was... But, it but was, still, it's, it's two, not like he's a free agent next year. Yeah, but we... So he, I, I guess what I 
let me put it so we've seen the two years out like jimmy butler we saw two years out we um kind of although it was a weird situation with chicago um anthony davis we saw you know two years out like um i'm I'm sure there's other paul george right we saw two years out actually him he really started piping up with a year out more but like we have not at some point i think someone is going to sign their max extension you know, like the rookies, several rookies did, or not guys who were on the rookies contract, excuse me, did this summer. And then like six months into their extension, they're like, all right, I'm, I'm ready to go now. You no, right. That's a bit. But to me, if you count this season that we're what, nine games in, I mean, you could argue he's doing it with three years left, right? This year and the next two years are still technically, uh, I know one of those is a player option. But uh, I was just confirming that last year it was a player option. Looking it up, yeah, but, it is. Which which is an interesting yeah, so player I, option, by the way. Forty right because an amount nine eight million something. Yeah, exactly. So you can here's the, the here's the deal. Get, by the way, if I can now break into you on top of it, yeah, yeah, uh, it's breaking uh, James, news from Mike Borkenall. Broke <laughs> this news. Let it be said. Well, Woj is reporting this one with uh, Ramona Shelbourne. It's James Harden in a three way deal with Cleveland. Uh, Karis Levert, Dante Exum, Rodion's Kurix. Four firsts, including the Bucks first that the Cavs own in 2022. And Jesus, four Nets. Oh, wow. Nets pick swaps to Houston. Jared Allen to the Cavs. Wow. 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 By the way, if this so, was the Knicks, you know how many fans would be ri- like, it's kind of funny because we'll, we'll bring it back to the Knicks theme. It's like, I remember saying leading up to 2019, if the Knicks get Durant or Kyrie, let alone both, you know, everyone who's in love with like the rookies and the young players, like stop because they're all going to get traded for win now players. I just, I actually think if this was the Knicks, Knicks fans would be going crazy right now. Cause they would just be like, what, you know, it, it's just like, and I know I've seen Nets fans well, that are a little bit like with the four yeah, but it's a di- picks. It's a different situation because this now makes them the front runner to win it all. As far as I, I mean, as far as I'm does it, I don't, I, I mean, oh, I think so. I mean, I had the this Nets James my, Harden my, just. I had the Nets as my finalist from the Eastern Conference. But that's what I was going to say. So can't, couldn't you argue? I know with Kyrie, it's an interesting situation right now. But like, couldn't you argue that if you fine tune the roster you had, you know, and maybe with Kyrie, it's just at a point that we don't know enough. There's not, there's nothing you can repair there. But like, couldn't you argue you could fine tune that roster and still be a favorite and you don't have to give up four first round picks and take James Harden, who, you know, who, who knows where his head is right now? Yeah, I mean, they're worse off in the front court now because Jared Allen was their best big man. Um, so that's more DeAndre Jordan that you're relying on, which I don't think is a good trade off. Gone is going to be the thing- five when it matters. In no, like, I know, but know. but what I liked about the Nets, at least when the season started, is that they could like they had eight good players in their rotation. Dinwiddie's yeah. gone, Allen's gone, Karis Levert is gone. Um, obviously, James Harden is here, and that's important. Uh, I'm not diminishing that at all. Um, <laughs> Kyrie Irving, I just I have no idea what the hell is going on there. Like that is just such a weird situation with so many unknown variables. That is James Harden stepping into play with Kyrie. When is Kyrie coming back? Will he come back? Like I don't know why he's not there. No one seems to really know why he's not there and playing. Right? Um, that's an undefined variable. <laughs> and I guess this and this is something everyone's kind of been asking. I think Howard Beck wrote about it too for SI. Like, what is James Harden going to be? Is he like what is he off the ball? Like defensively, did they just get a lot worse? Like, I don't know. Right. We've seen what he can do in that system. And you wonder at this point in his career, what he does. We've, we've also seen whenever star players come together and we question, can it work? We see that they usually find a way to make it work. That's what makes Um, them great. I, it's my turn. Oh boy. The Indiana Pacers are moving Victor Oladipo to the Rockets for a package around Karis Levert. Holy wow. cow. Le- <laughs> Shams, Shams has t- tweeted my news break, obviously. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, yes. Wow. Well, we knew. Let's take a step back. Let's all breathe for a second. Um, I mean, to me, Victor Oladipo was always maybe not was always getting traded, but to me, that was the guy. This is really interesting because every, I mean, there was good reporting on this and anybody who questioned the reporting about the Oladipo BSing with, you know, a, opponents about, Hey, I'm going to come play with you guys pretty soon. You're an idiot because he absolutely <laughs> did that stuff. Um, but yeah, I don't think, this, uh, yeah. 
Jesus. You know, this isn't, a, to me, Oladipo getting moved isn't a shock. For getting moved for Lavert is, is interesting. That's really interesting. Yep. Wow. Um, so this is, yeah. The, I mean, look, Indiana has a pretty good season going, too. Um, they're, they're pretty good. I thought they could get to the second round in the Eastern Conference semis. They're a very interesting team. Um, I, wow, this speaks to how little Houston thinks of Levert because Oladipo, unless they really, unless they, they just might think Oladipo's role. better though. Yeah, but he could walk in, in six months, well, whatever it is. They're going to resign him. You don't make that deal without, I think re, with a extension yeah, coming would, up. You would think so. So, but... so that means that they feel comfortable going because I, you, you don't think he's going to want the full five years. I think that's the only way you yeah, can feel I mean, he comfortable can, he can, about. He can, I mean, I think uh, JB can talk about the cap mechanics of it, but I believe he can get five for 25, right? One. Yeah. Five for one twenty-five right now in season. To, as an extension, I believe. Wait, Oladipo. So you're thinking they yeah. make the deal? They've already. You're thinking they've already. Yeah, they've already kind of talked no, he, to him that he's willing to stay. He could, but he could only sign. He could only sign for what percentage raises from his current salary? It's like twenty. Twenty uh, percent, I believe. Yeah. So Oladipo's yeah, not. Signed. You think Oladipo's going to sign? For, you know, this is. I think this is going into the off season, and I think they're going to need to pony up a full five year, if not max, like the Gobert max, or that was a well, bad example because it was a version of the Super. But anyway, I, I think I, I gonna, think it's going too because you got to see. Don't don't you have to see him play like some more? Oladipo, like to decide on that. I guess. I mean, no, I mean I know, honestly, you know like, what? This could be a version of the of the Jimmy Butler trade. And I, I thought when like the Sixers went all in on Jimmy Butler that they were just automatically going to resign him. But you know, I was talking to like one exec at the time. He's like, I don't know. Maybe they're just trying to see how this season goes and then decide whether to sign him at the end of the season or not. And obviously, he ended up leaving. Maybe Houston just decides they'd rather ride with Oladipo and have that contract and potentially the ability to resign him over uh, Lavert. But that so that yeah. again speaks to the first thing I said, which is yeah, that this really yeah. speaks to Houston not thinking very highly of Karis Levert, which is a little surprising to me because I think he's a pretty decent yeah. player. But that's just me. Yeah, it almost it almost feels like Maury's still down there, like that follow up move. <laughs> <laughs> like, this, this is some is wild, wild shit. No, I, know. I, did, no, I think oh, Macker, you oh, said you were going to have a beer for see... this thing. I hope you did. I'm having my beer. Yeah, I'm, no, having, right. I'm still enjoying my beer. Uh, this right, is some wild right. shit. But when I mean. I don't know. So, but yeah, with Brooklyn. So you guys are saying if you're Brooklyn, you make this deal. Uh, I don't know that I do. Uh, I don't see. That's what I'm saying. I wouldn't. I honestly would not. You already have. Again, I don't know what they know about Kyrie. Maybe they feel like he doesn't ever come back. I have no idea with this guy. But Steve like, Nash's answer yesterday was not reassuring when they asked him if he thinks he's going to come back. And the answer was, and I quote, uh, sure. Sure. Right. Um, that is. That I mean, maybe that. If they know Before, that, fine, heard, but I'm just like, you have, like you said, you the whole point of building the way they did, like, it just shows you what I was saying at the beginning of the pod. None of this stuff matters. You can build it, quote, the right way, all this stuff, and all it becomes is trade piece, trade chips. And you only get to use those trade chips if a player wants to play for you. Otherwise, you can't. Like, I don't know. I just feel like they were already in contention without making this trade. And now you just said to yourself, I don't know, we they're better by 10% and you're giving up four unprotected first round picks for that. But what does it matter if Kevin Durant wants James Harden? Kevin Durant gets James Harden. He runs the organization and the guy who's second in line after Kevin Durant. But is that's the problem. With, he runs it, meaning like, in the mountains of Arizona, for all we know. But look at what we're just seeing, right? They decide they get bored next year. And all of a sudden, it's like they don't play and they force a trade and you have all your Trump picks are gone. I mean, I guess you say then you get some back, but I mean, come on. I guess Joe Sy would like to have his t- uh, ticker tape parade down the Canyon of Heroes in as James Dolan watches from his suite at Fort Penn Plaza. And that's it. I, I guess that's so. very, I guess that is important to Joe Sy. <laughs> and I mean, listen, who are we to t- question what Joe Sy should and should not deem important but that's <laughs> wow this is, this is it's the pick swaps too the pick swaps go out into 2027 um so they're getting a lot here and jared how did oh, cleveland this... swoop in for jared allen all of a sudden by the way I, th- can we talk all they gave up was a late 20s pick like that's pretty good that's a pretty damn well, good so, deal to get jared allen yeah it's because it's the bucks 2023 pick right yeah uh 2022 okay 2022 yeah 2022 pick okay Wait, it says the Rockets get Cleveland 2022 first round pick via the Bucks. 
Super- yeah, so it's the it's the Bucks. Oh, it's the Cavs. The no, Cavs it's the Bucks must pick. have the it's pick, the pick, that, pick. Go- that comes from the Bucks. Is that what it yes. is? It, yes, yeah. that is it. Um. Oh, this is. Uh, did you see this from Shelley? James James Harden hired. I don't know who these people are. J- maybe you know Vork. Jason Ran and Chaffee Fields from Wasserman to secure a trade for him. He hired I, people to secure a trade from him. Yeah, I think he just. I think him. she's saying he changes agents to get, to get oh, stuff okay. done. They, they were, okay, that makes more sense. <laughs> All right, so that was a file of one fun wild diversion uh, there for a moment. Um, wow, I think we're both all kind of just like shaking our heads. Both all three of us, three people here. Uh, about what the hell just happened with that trade. And it's going to take a while to sink in. And I assume we'll learn a few more interesting details because um, this happened fairly quickly after James Harden uh, had what he had to say last night. I guess, all right, I'm going to do the unfun thing and uh, get us back talking about the Knicks. Um, I think before this trade happened, <laughs> we were about to talk about RJ Barrett. Um, that's a convoluted discussion based on on how he's played this year. Magri, it seems like you have something well, you want to say first. Yeah, just because it's fun. so. Uh, this is this is a, a lesson to any any um, students out there. Don't get your work done ahead of time. Here's what I mean by <laughs> that. Um, I saw the Harden press conference when I woke up in the middle of the night last night, and so today I was like, you know what? I haven't written a like Harden to the Knicks trade piece. Let me just kick and see if it makes sense and explore all the different avenues. So I sat down and I um, spent a good three hours of my time today. Uh, earlier yep. today writing that piece which will now of course um you know go go the way of the dinosaur um and the crux of it the crux of the piece was it really comes down to what do the Knicks think of RJ Barrett right now and what does the league think about RJ Barrett right now and the interesting thing to me was RJ Barrett's gotten off to this very rough start shooting wise um done some other nice things but I, I kind of ended the, the piece that, again, no one will ever see um, by posing the question, might this be the highest R.J. Barrett's trade value ever gets? Because he's well, no, I mean, people are going to kill me for that, I'm sure. But people have been killing me over my opinions about R.J. Barrett for for months now, um, you know, because he still has that sh- you know interesting young player averaging whatever he's averaging, 18, seven and four. Right. Or, you know, whatever it is. Um, showing some nice moves, the whole thing, but like, what is he? How is he? You know, we're, we're seeing the guys in this league that make a dent that make a difference. Um, and what, what, which of those qualities does RJ Barrett have? Um, and it's just, yeah, it's, um, it's interesting to me. I'm, I'm curious to see how his progression is, but like right now, I don't know, like, I'm not completely discouraged but i can't you can't say you're encouraged by what what we've seen so far why are you not completely discouraged because the shooting numbers are pretty bad um i'm not completely discouraged because i think guys who have been complete non-shooters have learned to shoot and barrett is so yeah, no, please. So let me say this. So I, I talked about this with Dave Dufour last week on the podcast, and I said and we were talking about kind of getting better shooters. RJ Barrett right now shooting thirty six and a half percent from the floor, 18% eighteen percent from three on four and a half threes a game, um, and his shooting at the free throw line is back down to sixty eight point six percent. And we, were, I was talking about that, and I said the same thing. I was like, you know, bigs, so many bigs in the last like three years have just learned to shoot threes all of a sudden. And he made yeah. an interesting point, as Dave often does, which I didn't think about. Bigs come into the NBA most of the time having not shot from the perimeter very often. And so they're more raw and less honed over time. And they have, I guess, fewer tendencies to break and, and fewer, uh, you know, there's less muscle memory there. And so they're in some ways easier to teach how to shoot than wings and perimeter players because they've been doing this and it hasn't gotten them good results. And so it's, it's easier to teach bigs how to shoot than it is to make perimeter players shoot better, which was interesting. And I hadn't thought of it that way. And I don't know how that impacts the RJ Barrett thing, but um, it is, I listen that the shooting numbers have been ugly so far. No, you're, you're, you're absolutely right to make that point. And that's your, um, I'm going to, I'm going to pretend that that was what I was going to say next because <laughs> it's, I still it's Dave's a, point. You can steal that too. That's okay. I'll do it. I, I mean, I'm doing it in front of you. So it's not that bad. Um, it's a, at the very least, whether you think his work ethic is going to get him there and all of whatever, it's a question mark and it's a yes. massive question mark. And yep. we're at the point where I think we need to at least 
the um, we it doesn't matter what we think the Knicks at least need to start wondering like well what is R.J. Barrett if he's a a, a non-shooter? It, it's a big, well, it's a big problem, isn't it? I mean, because well, first of all, I want one one other thing is someone just tweeted out and it's like obvious. This is obvious, but I had to see it in front of me. I mean, this Nets lineup now, you know, we're talking Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris, DeAndre Jordan. I mean, when you do see that in front of you, I was saying, well, did they get 10% better? I mean, that is, that is pretty, that is pretty insane. You know, seeing, seeing the news. Yeah. Jeff Green is probably going to be the guy in the, in the closing lineup when uh, push comes to shove um, or, or I guess maybe Landry Shamit. Uh, Bruce Brown, anybody? But yeah, it's it's a stack lineup. JB, continue, please. Uh, yeah, no. So I think I sidetracked myself because I was gonna. Oh, it's about RJ. I'll say no. It's a big problem because I mean, again, we, we've talked about with Mitchell Robinson. Like, what is he? I, I do think Knicks fans value Mitch higher than the rest of the league does. Um, I you know, and and I think that when you if you are gonna have two players who cannot shoot as, you know, back to what I was saying at the beginning, as 40% of your roster and as like the core of your roster, that it really makes it a big issue in terms of how you build the rest of your roster. And that's the, and, and then when you're saying that you're not even sure if either of them are actually, you know, all-star players, forget, you know, superstar that lead you to a championship. Um, you know, to me, to me, that's a problem because what it's saying here is, well, the Knicks aren't spending cap dollars, right? So we talked about that. They've been saying, okay, we're gonna, we're only gonna sign guys if they're, you know, home run signings for the most part, other than on short-term deals. We're not gonna spend to the cap. We're not gonna bring in veterans to to make them better, and we're gonna keep going through the draft. Well, that's fine if you hit in the draft, but then if you don't, and none of these players are are you know, strong pieces to your future. You know, I, I think that's kind of the scary thing that's just not talked about enough. Cause I think a lot of fans are about, well, obviously they're young, we need patience. And it's like, yeah, I, I think that's true. But you, you reach a point where you start to realize like, even if you're patient, what is, what is that peak really even look like for some of these guys, right? Like, you know, yeah, okay. They, they turn out to be very good players, maybe but probably like above average players, that's not winning. That's not turning a franchise around. Well, but that's why I asked, you know, I posed the question that I did before about RJ. Is it possible his trade value is the highest it's ever going to be right now? And I think the only reason the answer is no is because I think I, I can't imagine there's a front office elsewhere in the league that looks at him and be like, Oh, maybe, maybe he is a future, you know, multi-time, you know, all-star. It's like you, you can tell, when a guy like to me, the uncertainty more exists for a guy like, uh, and again, I'm going to get killed for bringing up his name in the context of RJ Barrett, but Tyler Harrow is Tyler Harrow Devin Booker, or is he just a guy who's going to give you an efficient 20 to 22 points a night? Like that's a more interesting question as opposed to is RJ Barrett a guy who's eventually, you know, who may make, you know, flirt with an all NBA team someday. Like we know the answer to that question. The answer to that question is no. Well, I, I think right now you can't even, if Tyler Harry you're saying is a guy who on the low end might be giving you an efficient 20 to 22 points a night, I can't say for certain. I think that about uh, RJ Barrett, you know, I I don't know what the word efficient in there. Right. And that matters. (laughs) (laughs) Efficiency is the game here. Anyone, anyone in the NBA can give you 20, 22 points a game. It's how many shots you play. If you play them 40 minutes a night, they can, and uh, put you know, put up 25 shots. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The efficiency parts, what matters. I mean, there's a lot of, I was looking at the 538 rankings um, and uh, they were they were saying that as of this year, obviously, R.J. Barrett and negative offensively, which is not a surprise, but his defense was kind of league average, which I think I, I pretty much agree with. So there's like defensive stuff that's interesting about him. Um, I think passing is getting better. Uh, you know, uh, he's a hard worker. No one disputes that. Um, but if the shooting never gets there, what is his offensive role and profile um, you, you know, an on-ball creator who can't really shoot, who can't really blow by uh, defenders from the wing. You know, that's tough to make work, and that's and, tough to to say he could be our you know third. And who's better on the rim? Don't forget that. Yeah, and that that deals with the uh, the the athleticism <laughs> question. And so, yeah. um, and the thing I've been thinking about is you know, 
RJ Barrett only in his second year uh, in the league, obviously, but this is already not the management that drafted. And how does that? Yeah, no, that's always, and that is always a factor you got to think about. And back to what I was saying, even like with quickly, right? Like you're saying, give it time, but are, are the skill sets there? I mean, we've, you just gave a, a scouting report that I feel like I read the day the Knicks drafted Barrett, right? Like <laughs> it wasn't like, okay, he, he was good at these things. He came to the NBA and he's had trouble adjusting to bigger or quicker players. So maybe if he, you know, he adds some strength and he does different things, it's like, we're talking about things that we knew kind of when he came in. And, and I just keep coming back to that because that's the best way for me to tell with a young player, how much through changeable things can you improve on certain skill sets? There's just, I don't know that there's, there's concern there with Barrett for me. Well, that that's why I would kind of get annoyed um, when, um, when Scott, when I made my personal one man, uh, I got up on my soapbox when, when Scott Perry was, was retained. Um, I forget what month it was during the pandemic, but at some point and people, people were justifying it and they were throwing um, the fact that he drafted RJ Barrett and didn't overthink it as one of his positives. And I, you know, look at it and I'm like, wait a minute, we're saying this about a draft that like Tyler Hurl went later in, and we have no idea what opportunities may have been on the table. Like, I'm not, I'm not sure we should be so quick to put that in the positives column. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I don't um, look, I, I think it's, I think it's, it's not over yet for RJ. I mean, it's too early to say that he is a hard oh, worker. No, he's, yeah. He's yeah, 20. He's do, in his second. He's 11 games into his second season. Um, and he he is helping them win more than he's uh, causing them to lose. Well, I think. well yeah. And it's, you know, we're talking role here, right? So I think the point is we're saying that we have strong early indication. He's not going to be the Patrick Ewing, which is the last player drafted this high for the, or close to that high for the Knicks. He's not going to be the next Patrick Ewing type player for the Knicks organization. I think we can say that. But mm-hmm. does that mean he can't be, you know, um, an Allen Houston type guy on the Knicks? And maybe that's a bad comparison because of the shooting. But I'm just trying to say, like, a player yeah. who was maybe not like a perennial all star, but was really good, you know, and was on winning Knicks teams. So it's it's about what the role is that that he has. I think what we're talking about so far is he's not a franchise changing draft selection. Can I say one thing though about this trade? Um, I, Knicks fans freak out about trading first round picks, um, even maybe when it would have been warranted and based on their past experience. The Nets went all in in that Celtics trade, got burned for it, yep. somehow built back up from the ashes, and within a decade have gone all in trading away all their picks again. No, you, but it's crazy. Speaking, no, you're huge difference though. Well, go ahead, Maggie. You saying that I'll say my Just, point. Cause they, at the time they did that move, they had a guy who was the, God, what was Deron Williams, the twentieth best player in the league, twenty fifth best player in the league, and another guy, and I think they had Joe Johnson. At no, 32. right, they're different trades now. You're saying than than then, but he's yeah, the yeah, cost I'm, I'm, didn't. That was supposed to set them back for ten years. Oh no! So right. no, but I'm I'm more talking about the ceiling of with that. There was never a world where that KG Paul Pierce Theron Williams core was going to compete for a championship. Like right, this but team, the point is that trade because of what you're saying, they made a trade and it wasn't even going to make them a champion. And the cost should have been that they didn't have a dream of competing because they trade away any hope of getting better. And then within yeah. somehow a short time. They, they've become now one of the biggest super teams the league has seen. Like it's, and I guess to my, my point on that and speak, where I was saying and they're willing to repeat is, the mistakes of the past and because that was a mistake, yeah. that deal. And I think maybe more like you could have foreseen it at the time. Yes. This, you know, they're obviously a better team now, but I think someone just made a good point in, in 2027, 2026, uh, when Kevin Durant is in his late thirties and James Harden may or may not be here or also will be in the late, stages of his 30s and who knows what Kyrie Irving will be doing that could be another way that those picks all end up pretty bad is anyone going to care if they have a championship in their 
No, like no. Yeah, that's I mean, it, but right? that's it. no. But you always consider the downside, right? You have to consider sure. the downside no, for these things. No, no, that, that's it. But to me, I think it, exactly like you said, it's the, the Knicks fans reacting to having traded first round picks in the past and it hasn't worked out. But I, I keep coming back to this exact point. Being a team who doesn't make any trades of young or future assets, who doesn't spend any cap space and then just slowly becomes a championship team, that is not quote, the right way to build. That is called a completely new way to build that no other NBA team is doing. No one else does that. And I think Knicks fans are on this feeling of like, oh, they're finally rebuilding the right way. It's like, oh, really? Like, how has Houston done it the last 20 years? Like, how has San Antonio, the Lakers, now Brooklyn, like, they did not just sit around and slowly through the, the Sixers are the closest example because of the process. But the point is, every team from Oklahoma City, you know, Houston, obviously, now Brooklyn, they are very aggressive in making trades. Um, they are not sitting back and saying, one day the most perfect thing under the sun is going to come to us. And I, I think Knicks fans too often get stuck in that thinking. Which is why if like James Harden came out or or made it made it known through back channels that he was interested in in coming to the Knicks and would be enthusiastic about coming to the Knicks. Um, like any fan is kidding themselves if they don't think the Knicks would have given up a massive package to try to get in on this. I mean, I, I this is a big, this is a big, this is a big one. I don't know if they would have gone this far, but like, you know, to your point, I think every GM operates like no other than like uh, Sam Hinkery, no, no G. There's a reason no GM in the history of the sport has ever gone into things with like, all right, we're going to finish last three straight years. Like nobody, people take opportunities when they're there because they know that that's the way you have to do it. But and it's inadvisable to do for the Knicks too because there's no recent history in the last twenty years of a GM getting three years to just lose. <laughs> and uh, I'm not saying that flippantly. Like, where's the GM? Who's no, had you're time not to lose. Uh, no. I, I mean, I listen. If, these if are all. Ever... Yeah. These are all self-aware people who know where they work. Yeah. Like you have to understand there's some pressure to win in the like short to midterm future. Yeah. Um, and so maybe, you know, maybe this just wasn't the off season that the Knicks decided to make that move. I think they'll try to make that move. I, I don't think that like they'll, they're just saying, screw it. We're going to forsake any outside investments. We're just going to draft and develop. Like it, I assume they're waiting for the right one. No, yeah. no, I think that, I think that's right. But it, and it's, it's just, um, I just think, you know, I just always get caught up kind of on, on how the narrative surrounds them as, you know, amongst the fan base. I think we've talked in the past about how the media looks at them, but just amongst the fan base of if the Knicks are tied to like a big move trading for a Russell Westbrook or a Chris Paul, it's like, oh, this is so typical Knicks that they would do that. It's like actually typical Knicks is to not do anything. Like they have not made a significant, other than trading Kristaps Porzingis, so being on the other end Mm -hmm. of that type of move they have not done anything that has been a risky move to get better in how many years now i mean what what was the last risky move uh that moved the needle in a positive direction that they've made mellow all right so that you yeah. were talking 2011 no 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 derrick rose Oh, come on bit, now. But that's not the same. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. He but was yeah, like, that's, I guess 2016, could you say that's yeah, the Joachim Noah, Noah contract? That's Noah. So 2016, that's why, when it was. Why are you doing this, Vork? What do you, what do you want I to mean, he asked the question. Spot. I'm just No, but even if answer. that's the answer, right? 2016, we're at 2021. Yeah. But there's, but th those were the Rose deal was inconsequential because he was, he was done as, as the Derek Rose that, that we knew him as. The, the Noah deal was asinine on its face um I, I went back to mellow because that's the one deal where you could look at and be like okay they gave up a ton they bungled the process whatever it was but like you could look at that and be like okay they're putting themselves out there in a real way let's respect them for that you know and who knows what would have happened if they were smarter about like picking up Billups contract and not having the, the whole thing um but yeah but I, to me I, that point is how if you're an nba team and i know part of it's because of regime change so you had to it sounds weird even saying that nowadays because of the <laughs> pick your words better <laughs> <laughs> all right we ever mentioned the other news that broke when we've been on this podcast yeah we don't have exactly to go. <laughs> um but i know part Backer's of it because they kind of beat you from this podcast 
Yeah. <laughs> I'll take a vote. Um, I have a feeling I'm lose only three of you. <laughs> I'm going to see if I can get your Twitter account cut off. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Um, because, because you keep hitting a reset button. I know that's part of it, but like to be an NBA team that hasn't made a risk positive move in five years. I mean, that's, I I don't know. Like, I think we lose sight of that a little bit in terms of why they are where they are. It's like, they didn't, that year that they, you know, before 2019 and everyone's talking about tanking for Zion or just waiting for Durant. I mean, the reason they're so bad is because they stretched Noah they stopped playing any player that's making any money. Like they had something like 70% of their cap, like not playing. And, yeah, but and it, you keep going. It's interesting though. You, you talk about risk positive, right? Like the conversation I've seen around the Knicks from Knicks fans and just on Twitter and all these things. And is that risk almost seems like a bad thing for them right, right. now, right? Like that's why they've been so risk averse, except for hollowing things out with the Christoph right. Porzingis trade for free agency for the stars that never came is that risk seems like this thing that they should not do. unless it's understanding and free agency that they will get Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And you do need to take some risk. Like it's a paradox. And I think it's been, it's burned the Knicks over the last few years. And, you know, it's this paradox of like cap space and, and draft picks and, you know, all those, like those assets to trade, but you need to have a team that's, you know, players that want to go to. And it's just, they they haven't been able um, to moderate uh, risk in the correct way in in which I, I hadn't thought of, but you make a good point. Yeah, no, that, and that's it. And I, and I think I call it risk positive. Maybe it's, I don't, I don't know what to call it, but it's just saying like, cause to me, trading Perzingis is a risky move, but it was, I would call that risk negative. Yes. Yes. And, but it was also like, you knew like you were going to be worse for a period until maybe you lucked out in free agency. It wasn't risk positive, meaning that acquisition actually gave you a chance to be better. And, um, and yeah, I just think that that's where we where we've been. And, and and funny enough, like I said, if you were to listen to kind of how fans or how people talk about the Knicks, you would think all the Knicks ever do is make moves based on this short term shot in the arm gain. And it's like, no, they they have not done that. And I think that speaks to why they are where they are. Yeah, yeah, I think that's, that, no, that, that's well said. And I think the, you know, maybe to, to start to, to finish up here, I think the, the interesting thing now is, okay, so Leon Rose has this team, he has, you know, some he's done some things that are, I think everybody agrees are good. Um, and, and he's gotten a nice, nice shot in the arm with this with this Julius Randle thing. To me, that's the next big question for this team is what do they what do they do? Because I think there's, I think there's incredibly valid arguments for all right we got we got this guy he likes being here he's a good seems to now be a good culture guy i did not see that one coming but such is life um like do we continue to build around him he's only 26 um or do they look at this and be like wow this is found money um at least for this regime um not not the one that gave him the contract that he got uh do we you know try to try to trade him in for something else like that would be to me um an aggressive risky a good risky move for the right deal um you know and then and then do, you know i i brought up barrett again um well i don't think they have they're ever going to entertain trading him like but man what i have loved to see uh nick's fans reaction if um if it was carousel vert coming here and uh rj barrett going to uh going to houston um i didn't see this podcast going the trade rj barrett route i'll be honest I'm not, I'm not advocating for trading him, but I am I am constantly, and I think this is because I hung out with JB too much, um, looking for counter narratives and and pushing and pushing the envelope on like, well, everybody just assumes like, okay, RJ Barrett is, is here, he's one of their core pieces, they just drafted him third, as opposed to, well, let's actually look at what's what's happening here and decide, do we, you know, should should we, you know, should we, should we have a meeting about this should we be like hey i wonder you know but i i i don't know we'll we'll see what they do i i think i have no complaints about this regime so far as crazy as that is to say but i'm also very optimistic by nature i was gonna say it's good you're optimistic because i feel like if nick's fans want to escape and we're listening to from the real world and want to listen to this i feel like yeah somehow we ended up with rj barrett's not really that good and the knicks haven't done any positive 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me get into one last topic because we have like five minutes basically before sure. uh, we have to end this thing. I, you mentioned it and I, I kind of want to get into it. You know, since the creation, since the dawn of Knicks Film School, I, I think I've sensed some kind of diversion between you two guys in terms of how you look at the Knicks. Um, <laughs> Macker, you've, you've retained your optimism, your, your wide-eyed optimism about it about the team and their, their future. Um, and JB, you've seemed to be a little more cynical and have grown a little more cynical. And, and we've, you know, DM'd about this. Um, I'm just wondering why, you know, why there's been this, I'm not going to call it a split. I don't think it's so dramatic as to call <laughs> it a split. Um, but you know, just why you guys seem to be kind of going down different roads uh, with the same or similar access to information and, and, you know, just the team the last few years. Uh, no, that's a good question. I mean, to me, I think Maggie got hinted at it. I, I do think I tend to, the way I look at anything in the world is I like to convince myself sort of like the opposite of what I'm seeing because it helps me, you know, kind of learn about a topic and think about it. Um, so I do think for a while with the Knicks, I felt like there was this sort of way the team was being covered that I felt like didn't have a proper counterweight because all it was is, you know, the people who cover the team. And then there is like, you know, blogs that were out there, but none that had this like singular voice. And that's what I think Knicks Film School became. We were an actual fan base counterweight to that could still be, you know, somewhat smart in how we covered the team. But then I think since then, what I saw was the opposite happen, where I felt like most of the blogs and the independent content creators had become so overwhelmingly supportive of almost everything the Knicks were doing and a large section of the fan base that I was like, well, wait a minute here. Like, it's one thing to say, like, things aren't always maybe covered fair from certain sources or whatever, but it's another to say the Knicks are doing everything right when year after year after year, they're terrible. So, like, I guess it was, like, me sort of, like, going, that's sort of in my, you know, I can't speak from Macri, but in my head, that's sort of what it was. Knicks Film School was originally a counterweight to sort of how things were covered because it just did not exist. And then I think it went almost too far that way with not just us, but I think others that I, me myself personally felt like I needed to push back a little bit. <laughs> um, I, I second everything uh, JB said. I, I guess I'll just add from from my perspective, like I still get myself into trouble when like I say stuff about RJ Barrett when, you know, I'm like, this team is really still very far away. They're, they're, not, they're not good yet. They're gonna, you know, the, the numbers are gonna come down. But at the same time, um, I don't know. I'm an inherently trusting person. <laughs> I'm a glass half full guy. It's just how I've, I've always been. So if there, if I can justify it to myself, uh, I will justify it to myself. And that's what I do with the Knicks. I look at the situation and I just say, all right, if I could justify it to myself that this is headed in the right track, I will figure out a way to do so. And maybe that's the, you know, the, the, the lawyer in me who doesn't practice law anymore. And I'm like, <laughs> this is my way. Like, I don't get to go in front of a jury. I get to, I have this newsletter and I'm like, all right, let me see if I could craft an argument, a valid real argument for why, why things are looking up and why things are okay. Um, so I don't know, maybe it's a little bit of a challenge for me. I, I don't know, but I, I will end with this. I, I, I think, um, to, t to take it back to the lawyer thing. Um, I think Leon Rose is, I, I personally still feel, I feel really good about the, the direction of the team under him because I do think to have the skills that you, you need to succeed in the field that he succeeded in, you just, you know, like someone who's, who's, who rose to where he rose to, I think figures out a certain amount of skills that are translatable to other walks of life. And obviously running a basketball team is its own animal. Um, but to that end, he seems to have also put the right pieces in place around him. And um, now it's a matter of getting back to what JB was saying before and learning when to take the right risks and what do those look like and, and the whole thing. And, uh, you know, that's tough because there's other 29 other really smart GMs. Like there's no, um, there's no, uh, I, I was, <laughs> there's, no, there's no Isaiah Thomas is running a team anymore. Like these guys are all good. These guys are all smart. So, um, but the one advantage they have, it's still New York city. And if you build a product that's halfway decent in New York city, I, I still believe that people will want to come here. And it's just a matter of getting to that, to that point. So. All right. Well, we'll, we'll end it there. Uh, I know everyone's in a hurry. 
Um, guys, thanks for doing this. Uh, Jeffrey Ballone, you can follow him at Jeffrey Ballone on Twitter. Um, you know, co-founder of Knicks Film School. You run Mets Fix now, that newsletter. Sign up for that as well. Uh, Jonathan Macri, you can follow him at JC Macri NBA. Um, he does the Knicks Film School podcast, uh, podcast and newsletter to which I am a subscriber. Um, I haven't signed up for the Mets one yet only because I'm just not ready to care to read about the, the Mets every day. I did that for two years and I, yeah, just, yeah, I don't no, need I to you. do that again yet. <laughs> but I do I do recommend it for everyone else. I, they seem like they're about to get interesting with this Lindor trade and the new owner. Yep. Um, is there anything else you guys want to promote before we end this quickly and unceremoniously? No, 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 no. That, that's great. Sign up for the sign up for the Metropolitan. It is. Don't be like Vork. <laughs> I mean, don't, 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 don't be like Vork anyway, but yeah. it's over it. Well, no, well, um, I'll say, I'll say for Vork, I'll give you your, your push with the athletic. Cause you know, one thing to me, it's like, everyone knows of breaking out film with the Knicks. It's like, to me, a great resource with the athletic is, and I told you this before Vork, you, the player page. So you can actually go search a player and it'll show you all the articles across all the different city sites of the athletic. Mm -hmm. And when you want to learn about a player, it's amazing. Like we all want to go to cleaning the glass. We all want to jump to the stat sites. To me, it's like, to me, that's always, now it's not a, a secret, but I'll call it my secret little gem of like, I go there, I'll read a couple of those articles about a player and I just feel like I'm gaining a little extra. So, so I'll, I'll promote the athletic cause you're not just getting nicks. You can learn about everyone that way. And, and while we're at it, I was actually hoping we would have car time carved out, but I guess I'm going to, this is Vork's ploy to have me have, you uh, have a me podcast. invite him on. What? I said, you have a podcast. You can, you can I know. So this. this is, this is your ploy to get me to invite you back on my past, which I, which I do anyway, um, to talk about your phenomenal piece on um, guys who are in the, um, an interesting line of, of work with uh, college recruiting and like writing about that, finding their way into NBA front offices, which was fantastic. Fan, I'm gonna curse. Fan fucking plastic, <laughs> by the way. Um, we'll, we'll get that to a to a later point in time. I'm happy to come on at, at any point. Um, but <laughs> I, I we, think we it's literally JB has to go right now. He's gonna like log yes. off and go on to his next call. So I'm just gonna end it there. <laughs> Sorry to cut you off. Um, everyone, thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Athletic, um, and we'll see you. You know, in the next edition of the Long Twos Podcast. Bye. Thank you.